so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, you can't trust your emotions. They will lie to you. Your thoughts will sap your strength if you let them run riot. That's why he says, take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, because it is designed to steal your peace, steal your joy, steal your hope. There's a passage here I was looking at uh, through, through, through the week last week, and in Job chapter 14, actually. And um, it's just a, a little couple of verses here in verse 7, and I remember hearing my friend James Gall speaking on this, and it says this, For there is hope for a tree when it's cut down that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. And he, I remember James saying, if there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. Hallelujah. And I believe that's what the Lord wants to encourage you with tonight. If there's hope for a tree, there's hope for me. Hallelujah. And it's the absolute truth. He is faithful and true. And I tell you, wow, there's no one like our God. He is well able to deliver and save. Hallelujah. Well, I want to share with you tonight from 2 Corinthians, if you've got your Bibles, chapter 1. Hallelujah. And we're reading here Paul's heart. Hallelujah. And he's speaking here. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our, own, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Hallelujah. Our wonderful God. What a powerful declaration. You know, the Bible tells us in this world we will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome this world. Hallelujah. But as I look at this, it sort of makes you wonder, what is this? This that had them despairing even of life, this affliction that came to them in Asia, this incredible difficulty. You know, we can pick the story of what he's referring to up here, I believe, in Acts chapter 14. If you want to turn there, the book of Acts is so exciting. But we need to read it as a revelation of the reality of what life in Christ looks like. Hallelujah for believers. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, it, it begins, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. It says here, at Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. 
This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet! And he leapt up and began to walk. This was so exciting. Here's Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while he's preaching, he sees this man and he perceives that he has faith to be healed. I remember the night, the first night we did miracle meetings here, I remember a moment in the service where I looked over here and Kay was there and I knew she'd come to have her deaf ear opened. But at just at that moment, I looked at her and I knew, wow, now's the time. I perceive she has faith. And before I could even get to her, the Holy Spirit had popped her ear open. Something happens when we come with an expectation and all that's needed very often is simply a point of contact for us to release and connect that faith and release that faith to God and God will do a miracle. Hallelujah. And that point of contact can look like all sorts of things. It could look like a word of knowledge. It could just be a revelation in the middle of the preaching. It could be in the presence of God in the worship. It could be having hands laid on. But whatever it looks like, God is the one that will do a miracle if you will look to him with expectation. Perceiving he had faith. He didn't say to him and go through a complex formula of, I bind the spirit of lameness in your feet or, you know, not that that's wrong, but it was enough just to, just to look at him. And Paul knew and he knew, fixing his gaze on him. It's like, I know something is about to happen here. Hallelujah. And so all he had to do was say, stand upright on your feet. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us. All it takes so often is simply a point of contact and a, 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 an action of faith. Hallelujah. And the Lord will do miracles. So this is really cool. Hallelujah. And everyone was so excited. But the problem was... In this city, they got so excited, they began to want to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they said, the gods are among us. Zeus and Hermes has come down. And the, they, they got the priest of Zeus and he was coming and he was going to sacrifice to them and he had garlands of flowers to celebrate them. And as soon as Paul and Barnabas realized what was happening, you know, because it was happening in their language, in the Lyconian language. Sometimes it can take, I've preached in different countries where you don't speak the language. Sometimes it can take a bit of a moment to try and figure out what's going on. And you hear a bit of noise and you realize, whoa, that's cool. Someone just got their sight back or something just wonderful just happened. But they were dealing with a different language here. And then suddenly uh, they realize, oh, no. And they tore their clothes saying, we are, look, we're just normal human beings. We're just followers of Jesus. And Paul just began to furiously preach. You know, 
there is a God, but his name isn't Zeus. And, and, and there is a creator of the earth, but it wasn't Gaia. It's the Lord God. He's the one who causes the rain to come on your crops. He's the one that's continually trying to get your attention. He is God. And that, but still, he had trouble trying to convince them. And then in the midst of this, the Jews that had been chasing him from Antioch turn up. It says here in verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowd, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowd, you know how easy it is to turn a crowd? We've seen this before. Jesus coming into the city, Hosanna, King of Kings, and the next day, crucify him. Crowds can be really fickle. And we can be really easily turned in our passions and our beliefs. Don't be so quick just to grab on to the next thing that sounds dramatic or sinister. Don't be too quick to mistrust. Don't be too quick to, to let some persuasive voice suddenly turn your heart. Be careful. Let the Word of God be the light to your feet, the lamp to your path. Let the Holy Spirit be your guiding light. Don't be gullible and just, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? Instead, fix your eyes on Him. But here, I mean, it, it didn't just happen in those days. We see it happen in these days. How quickly public opinion can be turned. It's just called the media. Very quickly, very easily. And their hearts were quickly turned as these Jews came. I imagine maybe they might have said, we've been tracking this guy. Yeah, you're right, he's not Zeus. He's a heretic. He's a, he's a troublemaker. He's, maybe they started saying what they'd accused him of before, you know, that he's doing this through the work of demons. Remember how they accused Jesus of that? You're casting out devils by Beelzebub. Uh, whatever they said, I don't know, we don't know here, but it was obviously nasty enough to stir up a crowd to hate him. And it says, having won them over, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. We can read that and go, oh, okay. Um, but when you look at stoning in biblical times, stoning wasn't a punishment, like I, I spit on you. It wasn't like I throw some rocks at you. I don't like you. Stoning was a form of public execution that was designed to be so brutal and then the body wouldn't even be buried because they considered it to be a curse if a body was unburied. They wanted to so humiliate, so torture, and they wanted to execute the one that was being stoned. In fact, it, it was 
encouraged that everyone would partake of it so that they would cleanse themselves of whatever guilt that person had tried to bring on them. So they're like, they were ready to go at it for this heretic, this man that was moving in miracles because of demons, we're gonna get ya. Now either they just weren't very good at stoning, Or something really amazing happened here. It says, having they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, these are people who really want him dead. They have come from Antioch so keen to have him dead because this guy is a troublemaker. In fact, there was even more, I think there was probably even more hatred in their hearts because he was a traitor, a Pharisee of Pharisees, very well known, who's turned to the other side in their mind. And they had a beef. They really hated him. So I can imagine they didn't go, that's enough, guys. You know, I, I think that's enough. You know, that's, that's enough. We don't need to be, you know, vindictive here with the stoning. I can't imagine that's how it went. They were supposing he was dead. Whether he was dead or not, I, I have a, a strong feeling that he probably was actually dead. But whether he was or not, we can't tell exactly from this passage. But supposing him to be dead, having had rocks thrown at him until he was executed, they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day, he went traveling. Now, whether he was dead or not dead, there was a major miracle that just happened right there. You don't, you don't get stoned to death and then just get up and go back into the city and then go on a uh, great big long journey the next morning. It appears this guy didn't even seem to have, you know, concussion. We can read about this back where we just looked in 2 Corinthians here, and this is what I believe Paul was referring to. And we read about elsewhere Paul saying, I've, I've been stoned. Yeah, this was here. It wasn't that he had taken drugs. It was, in fact, that he had been, uh, they'd attempted to execute him. I have been stoned, he said. And this is it here. But he talks about it and he says, he says here, as we just read in chapter one of, of Second Corinthians, we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Remember, Paul had witnessed Stephen being stoned. The witnesses are there to make sure the deed is done to approve of it. And here he is, he's experiencing this very same thing himself and, and God didn't stop it. 
And he said, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. I think there's a little clue there that maybe, maybe he did die. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Hallelujah. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. You know, sometimes we go through things where we feel like this is beyond my ability to cope. This is beyond strength. You know, I, I was thinking today, though, of the, um, the quote, I cried because I had no shoes until I met the man who had no feet. But the truth is, very often, our situation can feel like it's beyond our ability to cope with. And it doesn't have to be compared to somebody else. There are times. There are times I know I have wept till I can weep no more. Have you ever, have you ever been there? And they were at the place where they were burdened beyond measure, above strength. It was beyond their capacity to to cope with. Sometimes when you've gone through chronic illness or long-term things, Eddie, I'm speaking to you on live stream. When you've, when you've gone through things for a long time, when it's beyond even what you feel like you have strength emotionally, physically, you've got nothing left. God knows and God understands. And he's, he got to the point where he despaired even of life. You know, I, I was reading the Psalms today and, and David, David was there. He'd been there. You can have a look at Psalm 13. And he was in a really low, low, low place. It says in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? He wasn't being dramatic. I mean, he had been rejected by his family. His father-in-law, the king, was hunting him for his life. His, his, the armies he had led in victory against the Philistines, against Goliath, were, had turned on him just like the masses had turned on Paul, on Jesus. They'd turned on David. They'd believed a lie about him. They were coming after him. He'd been to, to Nob, to the priests, and to get some bread for his men. And then Doag the Edomite had treacherously betrayed him and Saul and the army and and Doag the Edomite actually had come in and he'd been told by Saul to kill them all and all the priests all their wives all their children were killed on David's account and David is hiding in a cave after having just fled to this another place where then he is you know, suspected because of his reputation of being a Philistine killer, the Philistines don't trust him, and so he has to pretend that he's mad and let spit dribble down his beard 
in order to get away. I mean, it's pretty humiliating. Low, low, low place. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? It's got to seem hard. You've got these promises and yet all this stuff happening. If you've ever been there, the Lord understands. Hallelujah. And then, uh, then David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. Basically, he's saying, I'm despairing of life. Help, please help. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. Now, you can come to the Lord and be really raw and real and say, I feel like it's beyond my strength to cope with. I believe, I feel like it's more than I can deal with. This is beyond my emotional, physical capacity to handle. But at that point, you have to make a choice. Are you going to pivot to despair and lay down and die, or are you going to pivot to hope? And David, he pivots to hope and he goes, help. But that help wasn't a hopeless help. It was a help that rumbled from deep within the roots that went down into the love of God, into this key he had, this connection he had. It was a help that rumbled right down to those roots. And then he says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hope rises in his heart again as he pivots to hope and says, help, it's not in me. I haven't got strength, but you will not disappoint me. You will help me, hallelujah. This is what Paul's saying. When I'd reached the point where I had despaired even of life, when I had no more strength, when I was burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life, Paul had been there. I I've, I've feel like I've been there, though when you compare what they've walked through, it really does make you think of the man who has no feet. But I, um, I remember back in my 30s, in my, when I was just 30 years old, having these promises about international ministry, healing, and miracles. And I had been more rejected than I'd ever been. And there was less happening than there was ever happening. I was in postnatal depression. I didn't know it, but I was just so low. I was so low, I did not want to leave the house. I was low, like I have never been that low. I was in the place, if I can be honest, where you think to yourself, where do you go, what do you do when you're not allowed to commit suicide? Low. But I remember, all right, it feels terrible. It's beyond my ability to emotionally cope with, but help. In my help, I remember reading Psalm 91 in my cry, I mean, began to call out, 
Lord, cover me with the feathers of your wings. Help me. You know, as David called out this cry for help, I believe he was saying, Lord, lift up my head, help me see, enlighten my eyes, enlighten my heart, help me see the truth. I wrote, I wrote myself a song, I, I, that was my way of dealing with things. And I remember, I'd write, I wrote this song, bring me near and I will come in close to you. Give me eyes that only look to you. Lift my head and help me see the lover of my soul who paid the price so I could now draw near. And I just began to sing it, Lord, bring me near, lift up my head, because you promised you're the glory and the lifter of my head. And I tell you, he continually lifted up my head. He continually breathed hope into my heart. He continually put a song of hope in my heart. Hallelujah. We must pivot to hope. 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul goes on to say, But this was so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, you can't trust your emotions. They will lie to you. Your thoughts will sap your strength if you let them run riot. That's why he says, take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, because it is designed to steal your peace, steal your joy, steal your hope. You gotta go, nah, nah. I'm replacing that real there in the name of Jesus. I'm going to turn and fix my th thoughts on things that are pure and lovely and of a good report. Hallelujah. I'm going to replace it with hope. I'm going to intentionally. I remember I was so in that period, so afraid of being alone with my negative thoughts that I would plan ahead. That, okay, if I've got to a shower, I got to get ready and I'm going to be by myself. I'd put a tape recorder in the bathroom with a Joyce Meyer tape. I'm like, I'm going to plan to not let those nasty thoughts come and take me down the sinkhole. Hallelujah. And you've got, you got to fight. Hallelujah. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Hallelujah. I want to finish today's program by telling you this powerful testimony. This man had taken poison to commit suicide, but instead of having the desired effect, it had actually caused his legs to become paralyzed and they'd wasted away. John and Loretta were part of our ministry team when he came forward for prayer. And as they prayed, God regrew the muscles and gave him power back in his useless legs. He then ran around demonstrating the power of God. Jesus Christ is still making the lame walk today. I love meeting with our monthly partners on our mentoring Zoom that we do every month. In fact, we do two Zooms. Some people actually jump on both, but one for uh, more of our American um, 
partners because of the time zones and another for our European, African, Asian and Australian partners. And we get to pray together, to prophesy over each other and to ask questions and talk about the thing that the Lord is saying right now. It's such a precious time and we so appreciate our monthly partners who help us take the gospel all over the world. They are the ones that make all of this content possible and we're so grateful for them. I'd love it if you'd like to join us as a monthly partner and that have you join our mentoring groups each month. You can go to the website right now to connect. <music>